0: So, if you were here last week, uh, Don did a great job in just laying a a beginning, understanding foundation for our series in the book of Genesis. These first several chapters of Genesis will be in this fall. Uh, Our series title is Origins, and uh, the word Genesis means beginnings. Beginnings. Um, This week, our, our message is called Peerless Creator. Peerless Creator and we're gonna be looking at a good portion of the creation story up to man. Genesis chapter one, verses one to 25, but let me pray for our time first before we begin. Sometimes, Lord, in our desire to experience you, or to come to you. We've really focused on that you're a person, a person that understands us, that cares for us, that desires to know us, and, and who intercedes for us and is patient with us. Lord, we thank you for that. All those things are true. But sometimes we have forgotten that you are God and we are not. And you are transcendent and you are beyond anything or anyone in this creation. And you have in your wisdom and in your ways brought us into existence together with this universe. We think about the account of Job and how his life was spotless in so many ways, and yet when he realized who he was speaking with, he was undone because you asked him even the the simplest aspects related to the creation and he knew that he could do none of those things. And so Lord, we want to know you in all ways. We want to know you in all your glory, in all your greatness. We want to draw near, and we want to be in holy reverence of you. You are the only one who could create this place, who could create us. And so, Lord, we look to you in this time as we begin this book of Genesis. Lord, would you open your word to us? Would you enlighten our hearts? Would you transform our minds? Would you humble our souls? Would you inspire us and awe us and wow us? And we thank you that this is your desire as well. And so we give you thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've uh, been a parent, I imagine that like my wife and I, you really, really wanted to do that really well. You really wanted wanted to get it right you had dreams for your kids, you had hopes for them, you were already doing planning and thinking about how am I gonna make this son or daughter just the best that they could possibly be. When you're in the, you know, beforehand, you were making their room just so, just so it would be inspiring, it would be beautiful, it would be attractive, it would be a learning center, it would be all that you had hoped because you wanted to give your, child the very, very best opportunity at life. Probably shopped around for a doctor, a pediatrician, asked a lot of people's opinions, like what, you know, who should I get and how, you know, is he really good and or she really good or whatever. And just you're you just probably did your homework on those things. You you started eating differently, you know, because you wanted them to have the good nutrition. You started thinking about your habits and how you operated around the household and Perhaps you were thinking ahead to the years that you will be investing with them, the times you'll have with them, activities that they'll be a part of, their education. You wanted them to be in the best schools possible, music, sports, travel opportunities, whatever. You were probably thinking, I just want my kids to have the very best that I could, that I could give them. And if you're a pastor, you thought, you know, I want them to be in church. I want them to be in church on a regular basis. I want them to have good friends. I want them to have good influences. What's the most important thing in shaping not only their lives, but your life as well? A.W. Tozer, very, Godly writer, Christian writer, said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. How you think of God will transform and change a life more than any other; these things that we were talking about can do. Do you ever think about that before? How you think about God—not what information do you have about God, but how do you think about God in your trials, in your confusions, in your dark moments, in your aspirations, in your sins in your failures, in your desperate situations. How you think about God is the most important thing about that moment and about you at that moment. So I'm actually gonna twist my big idea. I'll give you a main idea in a moment here, but I'm gonna twist my big idea because I would rather you get a good paraphrase of that statement to take away than just a summary of what we're going to be talking about. So D.A. Carson took that A.W. Tozer quote and he said this. He said, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. The most important thing for you is what you believe about God. And the main idea for our text today is the creation account is not merely about how we got here, but more importantly, who got us here. And that's something that I think the writer, uh, Moses, was, was really thinking about as he was going back and crafting, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this creation account. He wanted them to know More than just how did we get here, he also wanted us to know who he was, who he is. Our first point as we go through our text is this. He's a creator like no other, a creator like no other. The first verse says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, realize this, you know, Moses is writing the Pentateuch, these first five books, and as he's he's writing these things, he's writing these to uh, the people of God who had just come out of bondage for hundreds and hundreds of years. They had some element of their faith, you know, preserved during that time, but they were really in many, many ways, Ignorance as to the ways of God. They'd come out of a, of a country and a place and even they, they, they themselves had worshiped various gods, relied on various gods. But in the writing of this text, I think Moses was also looking forward, God the Holy Spirit was looking forward to the future when there would be varieties of gods out there and the variety of gods tended to be territorial or be, be for a specific situation. If you wanted fertility, you worshiped this god. If you wanted uh, produce, you know, you worshiped another god. If you had various trials and various things, you'd go to various di- different gods. And the accounts of these gods, of these various gods, and the talking about their creation ideas was usually there was some conflict going on or some fight, or some jealousy, or something is going on, and so there was upheaval and so forth. It was be happening. These gods were temperamental. They were aloof. They were easily offended. Later on, we'd run into gods who would, sac- who would want you to sacrifice your kids to And the Hebrews at that time, they had some knowledge of God, but they, they didn't really know him, as, we'll, as we will see later on. But this God is a creator like none other. And one thing he did is, it says here in verse 1, is he created out of nothing. Verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth means he created Everything. Everything that's on the earth and everything else that's in the heavens. So that's kind of a wide net to throw there. But it says, in the beginning. And so we have here in the record that this was the inauguration of history. Up before that eternity passed, before this had happened, there was nothing like this. There was no, there was no earth. There was no heavens. There was no stars or anything like that. But it says there was a beginning, which implies that there's an end also to this time, this timeline, at least the end as we know it, of, of life as we know it. Inauguration of history in the beginning. It says God created the heavens and the earth. The, the author could have used two different words, but he chose the word Barah, which is a word that means created from nothing. Created from nothing, and if you were to do a word search in these in the Hebrew writings, uh, you would see that you know the only one who creates from nothing is God. There's another word that's I probably mispronouncing, but "asa," which has the idea of shaping an object. It also we'll translate it creating, but you know we as as people we we create things, but we're using a different idea, we're a saw, we're using the idea that we are are shaping from some other material something. Hebrews chapter 11 verse three sees this, picks this up, and says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Same word. And by your will, they existed and were created. Our God spoke matter into being. You know, Christy, my daughter, and I were, were talking about this this week, and she was saying, you know, maybe still... Uh, what is it, E equals MC square still works. Because because God is all-powerful. He speaks matter into existence. He speaks matter into existence. And then we have the account of the various days. It says this. It says... In day one, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we have here, it says, the earth was formless and without form and void. And so you say, wait a minute, I thought there was nothing there. I thought there was nothing there. I thought he spoke the word through the, the earth in the to existence and so this will when we talk about the creation account this will be some of the things that there'll be differences and nuances of what is happening here how did we go from he created from nothing and now it's saying well it was without form and void well day one starts after he had already spoke a creation into existence he had already spoke that into existence part of the question will be how much time passed from God speaking something into existence, this void and and this uh, without form and void creation that's now he's about ready to shape and form into what we now know as the heavens and the earth. It says the earth was without form, it has the idea of a wasteland. It It was unusable and void, it was empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And this idea of hovering, the Spirit of God hovering over this shows that there was movement, that there was about something was about to happen at that time. Uh, It's the same word that is used for eagles hovering over over their young. It shows the idea of presiding over something and having dominion over something. So there's this formless void and the spirit of god hovering over these waters not not habitable not hospitable at this point verse 3 and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw that the light was good and the, and god separated the light from the darkness god called the light day and he called the darkness night and there was evening and there was morning a first day. A couple things we should see from this. So sometimes in terms of, a, of how to understand the creation account, some will start reading or looking for symbolism in, in these things. And we'll talk about the various symbolism that some people see. Uh, I, think the, I think to the original hearers at the time, which is, as Don said, we want to think about who is hearing this, at, at, you know, who is hearing this uh, as they were hearing this account, and it would be those, those Jewish believers, uh, excuse me, those Jewish uh, people in exile who had, who, had, who had, the Jews who had just left Egypt, uh, as they were talking with those people, he's saying there was light and there was darkness. And it says he saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And there are some that will think, well, darkness probably means evil or has the idea of something, you know, foreboding or something like that. And actually, most, most commentators would think, no, it's just, it was just dark. And he was separating these two. And it says he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And so from the very beginning of this first day, he's already beginning to, to label this. This is a day. And he says this is the first day. And it says here that there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And that will be important a little bit later on. We'll we'll see that. And then day two it says, "And, And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters so that they were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And so, there was water that was separated above, then there was the earth as we know it in the skies, and then there was waters below. There was this canopy of water that was separated from the waters on the earth, And uh, that, that will be important if we were to go into the, the flood later on. But, but that's, you know, the separation that was going on. Day three, and God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Each time, each time we see a, a, a pattern here of calling it... Uh, first day, a second day, a third day, an evening, and a morning uh, during that time. And in these first three days, we see something going on. We see that there's um, separations going on, light from darkness, waters from water, and land from waters going on. And then we come, verse 11, to the first act of creation. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in it, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And this was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit of their their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Again, you have two kinds of plants. You have those yielding seed and those fruit-bearing at that time. And it says, in in both cases, it says, each of these produced after their kind. So this plant produced this plant, this tree produced this tree. And it says, he declared that what he had created was good. And again, there was morning, evening, and third day. Day four, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let there be signs for seasons and for days and years and let the lights in the expanse of the heavens give light to the earth and it was so. And God said, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them over the expanse of the heavens to, to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning. A fourth day, the fourth day. Again, you see two great lights here. It doesn't personalize these lights, doesn't call them out as gods as, as some people do, things that they worship, the stars and so forth. It's like, no, these are just lights. You know, There's a greater light for the day and a lesser light for the evening. And uh, they're stars and they're subordinate to you because they're there to give you light. They're to serve you is the purpose. No cosmic deities here or anything like that. Day five. And the Lord said, let the water swarm and the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which this, the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Again, you see God now filling. He's filling the land, he's filling the seas, he's blessing them. You see his gracious uh, heart towards his creation to bless them, to, to see them multiplied. And again, there was evening and there was morning. Day six. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts on the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. It's clear that God was creating things that were to multiply their kind. In our section here. And I want to talk briefly, and I, I do mean briefly, about uh, like five uh, different creation theories, models, as it were. And I am not an expert in these things, so if I make a mistake, I apologize. Please feel free to come and tell me about it. Um, And I've spent a lot of time this last week studying and trying to learn these things, and there's a lot to learn, so I I apologize. And I say this not because I'm presenting myself as being uh, an expert in any of these these theories, but I share these things because I think that you need to understand that this is something that I think that we as Christians will talk about. I think it's important. Uh, I think it's important for us to have f- good dialogue on these areas. Um, but I want to talk to you about a way to think about this, and I would call this the, or it's been called the theological triage. The theological triage. Because I think that as, uh, as, as believers, we, we, we don't know how to handle maybe, our, definitely our, our society doesn't know how to handle differences of opinions. And you can just Google theological triage, and you'll get a lot, a lot, a lot of detail, and people fill them in a little bit differently. But this is how I think that people think about or should think about disagreements, okay? And I'm, and I'm saying this before I get into the creation models and ideas. But first is a, uh, the first order in our theology is that of a different faith, you know? And so there are certain things that we cannot, we cannot agree to at all. And that would be, for example, the full deity of Jesus Christ, his humanity, um, the Trinity, uh, the fact that we're justified and saved by faith alone in Christ alone, the fact that uh, we believe that the scriptures are God's word. I mean, these are all things. This would be like a first level. Um, first order set of truth that we, we got to hold to these. We can't move off of these. And the second order would be, you know, and, and that would be a different faith. If somebody says that they believe God and you, they say, well, you, you know, all gods are the same and aren't we worshiping the same God? Well, the, the answer is no, we're not in many cases. So then we have the second order, which would probably lead many people to go to a different church. And again, this, this list will, will change a little bit according to the individual. But there would be things like baptism. For some people, you know, that is like a, I'm going to die on that hill. And I'm not going to, you know, baptism is one of these areas. That I, just, I, can't, I can't just compromise that one. Or the Lord's Supper. Or uh, various... Uh, gender issues that we'll be talking about. Some of those things are like, I can't be with you if you think that. And then there's third level, third order uh, topics, which I think as a church, we probably have a number of these things where we don't agree with each other on, on every theological piece and we kind of agree to disagree. And that would be, you know, various things about, say, end time things in the millennium and, and the return of Christ and how that's going to happen. You know, various uh, gospel freedom issues. You know, one person says, I can't drink. You shouldn't drink. Someone say, you shouldn't watch this kind of a movie or that kind of a, a such and such. You know, it could be uh, difficult texts in the scriptures. It could be how you think about the Holy Spirit and various gifts and so forth. You know, generally speaking, we have found that we can disagree and we can have constructive and helpful conversation with one another, respectful and learning from each other and having and, and being challenged in good ways. And that's good and that's healthy. And I would say that in all the little charts I was looking at, creation would fit in this in this third category of uh, agree to disagree. So I say that so that you understand that we, we leave room for different convictions you know, in the church on these areas, although it doesn't mean that we agree with all those con- areas, we probably don't, you know, but, we, but we allow we a allow good, healthy conversation on those things. So I'm going to talk about, briefly, uh, a few theories. Uh, Historic creationism would be the first one. The God who created everything is the same God who creates his image bearers. What God created in verse 1 existed for an undefined period of time. Remember I said there was, he spoke the creation into nothing, then we have this Verse 2, it goes into, oh, and now he's working with this void, in this wilderness, with waters. It's uninhabitable. But what happened from nothing to here, that's what he's addressing here. He says, what God created in verse 1 existed in an undefined period of time before God began the work of uninhabitable land for the habitation of mankind. The six days of creation were 24-hour periods, This view leaves open the possibility of an old earth. So that's the first one. Second one would be the young earth creationism. God created the entire universe in six literal 24-hour days. This view affirms that the entire universe is less than 10,000 years old. It interprets the data of science in terms of inspired scripture, refusing to compromise God's teaching about the date and the methods with naturalist theories. Okay, stop there for a second. So in other words, science may appear to say eons, millions of years, whatever. Creationists, many of which you know have use science to prove, or their, their understanding, that whether it be through uh, a deluge, a worldwide flood that's changed the way things are mixed together and the way things, the fossil record came down, or, or things that are, are talked about through, uh, whether it's evolution or, or various things about dating, all those things, they will work with all that information. You know, People who still have a, a young Earth model but they will not let, you know, science be the determination of what they believe, you know, is, is true or not. And this goes back, I think, even to, to last week when we were talking about uh, how we believe or how we respond to the Scriptures. We, we believe, you know, uh, or what we, we teach as pastors is that, you know, the, the Word of God in its initial, original intent, and its purpose is God's word. And we respect that, and we honor that. And if things don't line up, we say, well, God's word is true. I know God's true. And so let's see. Let's work with that situation. Let's work with that knowledge. And so uh, two compelling reasons to believe, and I would say, you know, the pastoral team, we would lean toward this young earth uh, creationist model Two compelling reasons would be, uh, first of all, you know, someone would say, well, the word for it uses day can be some places it means 24 hours. And some places the word day is used to, to, to kind of be symbolically a, the day, you know, the day that we went to battle, you know, or the, the day that, you know, describes a, a, a longer period of time. But in the Hebrew... My understanding is that when something is, is numbered, like first day, second day, third day, it means a 24-hour period, a short period. And so each day is numbered. And each of these days, as we go through the, the account, it says they're described with, and there was morning and there was evening, a first day, morning and evening, a second day, morning and evening, a third day. And so if we think about how will the original hearers hear this, I think they're thinking day. Day is a day, 24-hour period. And then if we were look at how Moses and how God records, again, an account of this in Exodus when the, uh, when the law was being given. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10, it says, Six days you shall labor. And do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and rested on the seventh day. So the way that Scripture interprets that creation account is a literal, you know, six-day creation with the seventh day. Another Way that people look at another theory that people would have about about the creation would be the old Earth creation or the intelligent design. Intelligent design, in this case, being no evolution. The days of Genesis one are were are work days, <clears throat> setting a pattern for your rhythm of work and rest. The use of day can represent periods of God's historical supernatural activity in preparing and populating Earth as a place for humans. These days are broadly consecutive periods of unspecified length, unable to be explained by evolution, and must have some help in design. So basically you're saying, yeah, these days are long, and there is a lot of transformation, slow growth, so development going on. But you can't depend upon just chance for this to happen, because that just... Mathematically, or whatever, you know, whatever the, 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 the probabilities are, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So it needs some help, needs some design in order for, uh, for this old earth creation model to work. The next is the literary framework view. Literary framework views. Hey, you're going to hang with me on this one because this one's a little bit more complicated. Genesis 1 and 2 are intended to be read as a figurative framework Explaining creation in a topical, not a sequential order. You know, when you see first, second, third, fourth, fifth, they're saying don't don't overdo that number system there because we're actually going to see there's a package of three and there's a package another another package of three. Okay, so there's a a topic here we're going to address and we're going to show how that how that works. The six days of creation are to be interpreted metaphorically. Yet this theory would claim to accept biblical authority, but the accounts should be understood metaphorically. In other words, they're saying, just like there's other metaphors in the scriptures, there's other symbolism in the scriptures. You accept that, that's a symbol. You accept that that's a metaphor. And so you're not not saying you're not being, you're not being, you're not holding to the word of God. They would say, no, this is, this was meant to be read as a metaphor. So that would be their claim. And so this is the point. I'll give you a little chart here. It'll help you see it. They would see three creation kingdoms, meaning it's a theme to prepare the earth for the universe in days one to three, and three creature kings, the theme for the formation of days in day four, five, and six. Hold with me. These kings are the luminaries and creatures that have dominion over days What? days one through three contain. So look at this picture here. This is what he's talking about. When they think of, when they think of, this model thinks about how creation happened. And we we all know that, you know, the order of these, you know, creation days that you, you think, why did you put, like, there's already plants and things happening before you put the sun and the moon there. And so people are like, why did it come out in this way? This would be one reason, I think, that this model probably came to be is because there's something else that the author was was trying to communicate and that would be this that these first 3 days were kind of creating and preparing for the for the for the for the filling in of the creation so you had light and darkness separate on day 1 you had water in the sky and the water on the you know below you separate on day 2 Day three was the land and vegetation being separated. So you have these separation days, kind of preparing the ground. So it's creation uh, kingdom, getting it ready. And then day four would be, okay, now we're gonna fill that in. We're gonna, give a, we're gonna give stars, we're gonna give a sun, we're gonna give a moon, and that's gonna be the luminaries that would parallel and fill in day one. Then you would have the, the birds and the fish to fill in the sky and the water. In day six, you would have the land and animals and man, and that would fill in the land and the vegetation. So that's the theory that that's the theory that they would have. Um, there's lots of issues with that. Um, uh, it doesn't it doesn't follow the pattern, you know, of the idea of the first, second, third day. It doesn't address the issue that. It was interpreted by Exodus and other places, Jesus and others who were interpreting it more as a, as a, as a six-day uh, six, six creation with a seventh-day rest. But well, we can't get into all the details of it, but that's one of the things out there, one of the thoughts out there. And then lastly, the evolutionary creation, God used and planned the purpose of, excuse me, God used the planned and the purpose-driven natural process of evolution, to do his creative work of universe and life. The universe is a creation that is completely dependent for its continued existence on the the sustaining power of the God of of the Bible. God's design is shown in the finely tuned physical laws and biological processes necessary for life. So they're saying, okay, there's evolution, but it was God's design these physical laws, these biological processes, these things are going, they're saying, you know, God was behind that. To evolve through transitions, which would be impossible without God's involvement. Again, they're, they're saying these things happen not by chance. God was using evolution, so to speak, uh, to bring about the creation as we know it. This model does not hold to an Adam and Eve as literal parents of the human race, and how one species transitions to another they don't they don't they can't explain that if they say evolution did it and we know that evolution has a lot of holes in it you know with its inability to show transitions from one species to the next there's trans, there's change within a species but there's not a, there's not what they would propose happen which would be you know one kind becoming another kind anyway so back to the main idea. The main idea, the creation account is not merely about how we got here, but more importantly, who got us here. So I'm sorry if I didn't satisfy your interest there, I gave you a little bit to think about. Lots of books out there to, to read. A lot of people more knowledgeable than me that can talk about those things. But there's, 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 something, there's something there. But I, I'll, I'll say this. Each of these models says something about God says something about his power, says something about his beauty, says something about his design, says something about his, inner, his involvement, says something about how he works. And so I think that it's important to, even as you're reflecting on models, it's not just, you know, what what what's interesting or what feels kind of good to us, but, you know, what does it say about our God? I think is an, is an important thing to consider as you kind of, continue your study in those areas. But let's talk about the creator because that's what I want to talk about the most anyway. The creator. So we see here in this, in, in this account, which I think is, is more about God than it is about how it all got here because he could have given us a lot more there. Um, we have the creator revealed. And the first thing we see that God simply is, oh, I missed my main point. Did I miss my main point? No, I just read that. God simply is. He's eternal." It says, "In the beginning, God. I had a conversation with someone this week, and they we're, saying, we were talking about just the mysteries of life, and they said, "Yeah, but the, the big mystery is, who created God? I can answer that question. Nobody. <laughs> That's the baffling thing. He is. God is. He always has been. Can't wrap your your mind around it. I mean, I, I remember as a, as a young kid I wanting to do uh, study astronomy and got into all the you know the the Star Trek and all those kind of thing shows and stuff like that. And I was just thinking about going to these galaxies further and 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 further, and further out. I keep going out, 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 and then you think, but yeah, but what's at the end? There's not an end that we know of. What's on the other side of the end? That's what I used to think about. what's on the other side of that wall that's there, you know? I mean, our mind does not comprehend transcendence. It doesn't. We can't get a hold of God always was. And when you realize that that's the God that we know or knows us, that helps in life, that helps in life. Like I said, you know, what's really important is for us, I think is the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Well, God is in the beginning, God, he's separate and he's equally everywhere and he's alive. He's living. Secondly, God is prior to nature and beyond nature. So we talked about that. He's he's before. It says, before in the beginning was God. Eternity, back that way and keep going and don't stop. Prior to nature. And the exciting thing is that we get to go on this side of eternity. We get to go this way forever. Think about that when you don't get everything you want in this life. Think about that with the promises. And he's beyond nature, he's he's peerless, he's matchless. He has all knowledge. He knows everything that's going to happen. There's nothing that's happening that he didn't see it. He knew all the possibilities and probabilities, and he was over all those decisions. His power, his wisdom. He's not like nature. He's not like you and I. He's not not finite in the way that we are. And then God made everything that is non-God. I mean, that's kind of obvious. but to these jewish these jewish people you know they needed to get that like that that cow you just created that's not god that's not even close that doesn't even rival him he doesn't like it he made everything that is non-god only him only he made everything he made the whole heavens and the earth and at best, and it is amazing, we are image bearers. We're not image bearers in everything that he is, but we, are, we bear his image, but we're not God. I think about the argument you know, that, that Job was having with God, and it came down to, yeah, but Job, you're not God. <laughs> you you've got an argument here you've got a case you think but you know the bottom line is i made everything and then you have like romans chapter 9 when trying to figure out if god was fair with these two brothers and one cuz one got accept, one one's sacrifice was accepted and the other was wasn't and god says look i'm the potter you can't argue with me I'm the one who made you. you. You don't have an argument. And I think that we, in our desiring God to really relate to us and feel for us and think about us, and he does, he does. But he's not, he's not, he's not made. God is one. He's, there's no other God, he's independent. We all are in need, we all need things. He doesn't need anything. All that eternity passed before he started all this. There's nothing to indicate that he wasn't fully happy and fully satisfied. He didn't create us because he was lonely or he needed something. (laughs) You know, he's one. We have a Trinity, there's three persons. I believe scripture would show that there's fellowship there. I think that God was wanted to include us in on the joy that he had. Wanted to give us an opportunity to taste what it's like to have fellowship with God. He's a speaking God. He spoke all these things into creation. I love it. You know, it says, oh, he made the stars. You know, it's like he made the greater, sun, great, greater you know, thing to, be, to rule the day and the lesser one thing. Oh, he made the stars. And now I'm, I'm like on, you know, YouTube looking at these pictures of galaxies out there. I'm thinking, my heavenly father made that one too. <laughs> oh, he made the stars. He just phew, spoke them all into existence. We can't even get there. We can hardly even see it. And he speaks to you, and he speaks to me, and he speaks to people. God makes, us, makes all that is good. He cares for his creation. It says that he, he saw what he, he made. It was good. He was and He blessed those things. That's, that, that's the nature of God towards his creation. He wants to bless his creation. He wants to do good to his creation. He wants to put things in place that we can adore and, 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 and enjoy. He's a God of order and beauty. If I could have the worship team come up. He's a God of order and beauty. He ordered creation, He ordered the days, He set the boundaries, and He rules over all those things. He's sovereign over all these things. And there's more to come because this. This is just from the beginnings of of Genesis. And if I really took, I was trying to keep my list short. I I had another five or six more, I could say, but I was trying to wrap them back in. But you know what? There's so much more about who God is. And so our main idea of the creation account is not merely about how we got here, but more importantly about who got us here. That's what's most important. And it's not just about what you know in your mind about God. It's, it's about how you've united that with faith and you've, and you've tested it. And you've proven him and you've, you've stepped out on what it says about himself. And you hold fast to him. And he shows you that he's faithful. He shows you that he's powerful. He shows you that he can provide for you. He demonstrates his patience with you over and over and over again. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The, God, the Spirit of God wants you to look at, looks at, look at Jesus. You know, look at God. Look at our Creator. And the Spirit, as you see him, are, is transforming you into his likeness. That's why I would say the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's, it's fun. It's easy to kind of get caught up in all the nuances of interesting ways that people think about your creation speculations that we have but Lord if we were to miss you and not really see who you are it would all be in vain so Lord we want to know you because we know that knowing you is the greatest fulfillment, the greatest thrill the greatest gift that we could ever have for all eternity Lord we will be studying you We'll be rejoicing in you, and we'll be loving every moment of it. It won't be drudgery. It won't be boring. It'll be amazing. So, Lord, we thank you. We bless you. And with what we know and what we have, Lord, we give you praise. In Jesus' name.